Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello. I'm John Elledge, and this is Skylines, the City Metric podcast. Once again, Skylines is locked down, as with most of the rest of human civilization. So it's coming to you from, from well, my living room. Let's be honest, that's that's what we're talking about here. Later in the show, I've got an interview from, from the time before with Donna Hall, who is the chair of the New Local Government Network which in early March, back when the outside world was still a thing, we talked about the future of local government finance and uh, how how councils are going to survive. I'm going to be honest with you, lads, I haven't listened back to that interview. I have absolutely no idea how much that is going to still be relevant in this world in which which everything is is on fire. But we just went, we're going to roll with that. We're going to play that later. In the meantime, I am joined by somebody who is, I, I can only assume, living the dream, really, being trapped with me for... For three weeks and counting. Week four now. Is it week four? <laughs> We're on week but that's four. <laughs> so three weeks and then hang on, let's not argue about that. No, it's week four tomorrow. Okay, so three <laughs> weeks then is how many weeks we've done. You can tell it's going very well. My partner and the host of the Chatham House podcast, Undercurrents, Agnes Frimston. Hello, how Hello. are you? You having fun? Loving life. How is everybody? Co host of the Chatham House Co-host. podcast, Undercurrents. Wouldn't want to. With, with that other guy. Yeah, with my wonderful... With the other person that I'm uh, talking to regularly. <laughs> I feel like him and... Yeah, no, we'll cut, you'll cut that, that's fine. Um, no, we're going to leave that in. I do uh, like the way that you, you, you totally <laughs> failed to mention his name. It's just like, oh, that's this co-host, ben this other Horton. guy. Ben Horton, shout out okay. to Ben Horton. No, because I was going to say, it's just him, you and my dad that I'm talking to. Who Remember, that's not true. I have friends that I speak to. I speak to friends more often than you do, actually. I have the internet. I don't need... I have the internet too, but I call friends, whereas you don't. That seems like a lot of effort to me. Well, anyway, how are you, John? I'm all right. I'm still, I still object to picking up the phone in sort of an impersonation of, of a much younger person than I actually am. I think like picking up the phone is a bit, is a, bit of a hassle. Oh, no, you have to plan a phone call. It's you think? A, oh, no, every phone call I've made, it's, I'll call you at six. And the hardest thing is that you, can't, you have no excuse for getting out of those calls now. But this is why my trick of not planning the phone calls <laughs> and just vaguely meaning to pick up the phone but knowing I'm never going to do it is actually is actually superior. True, but I am conscious that also there are quite a few of my very close friends who are on their own and isolating with no housemates or anyone. And so 
I care about their welfare. So I think it's more important to speak to people if they're in that situation, whereas you don't really care. Do I'm not sure I get... I, know, I don't have many close friends who are, like, completely Just on their own. There. No, no, yeah. exactly. No, that's what I mean. I think that's the difference between us two. It's like I have quite a few close friends who are... Who are, who are weird loners. No, they're just completely on their own, which is, you know, starting to look good, isn't it, John? <laughs> I was going to say, like, you know, to a lot of people who are listening to this, the idea of being, you know, shut up alone with me for an indefinite period is is probably the dream, really. You so... say that, you say that, but I did a drunken purchase last week, didn't I? And I've discovered this only because I found my email confirmation the next day, and it was half price, so the drunken me is... Is frugal. a bargain hunter. It's frugal, which is good. So £13.20. But it arrived today, isn't it? And what is it, John? Okay, I'm going to say this out loud, and it is going to sound like I've hacked your account. But this was absolutely, definitely you. It's a, a thing called Topple Tower Game, which is the um, <laughs> London Transport Museum <laughs> serial numbers rubbed off version of Jenga. <laughs> and all the bricks are in, in tube colours. Yeah. It's basically what's going on with, here. <laughs> with the London Underground sign on it. Yeah. And look... I'm so excited about it. It's bloody brilliant. But you say people are really happy to be like locked up with you. A lot of people would be absolutely thrilled that that's what their partner drunkenly orders. <laughs> Turns up in their name, I might add. <laughs> but no, you were sniffy about it. I wasn't sniffy about it. I'm just like, is this is this all I am to you? I'm just someone who likes the tube. No, this is for me. <laughs> it's just that you'll play it with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is, no, all you are is somebody who will play Toffling Tower with me. I'm joking. Well, I've got your present. Another present. Well, this because is... I think, what are we going to talk, I mean, you presume you want to talk a little bit about the way that people seem to be coping with lockdown. And one of those ways is by doing slightly faggy mad things like baking banana bread or f***ing sourdough, am I allowed to swear? bit late now <laughs> people are like i think it was the great sophie gad actually who said lonesome walks and sourdough welcome to lesbian culture everybody <laughs> but the other thing is face masks so i've got your face mask you've got my face mask. i've never john doesn't know what face how to do a face mask. i have no idea how to do a face mask this is because i'm this is because i'm fundamentally i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not the most macho man in the world but i am nonetheless a man no look it's going to enhance your look it's a youth concentrate so it's got stem cells in it apparently Edelweiss. aren't those like aren't those the things you harvest from babies it's called drops of drops of youth and you love talking about how young you look so you're doing a lot of great. advertising for people here. like who is paying you for i didn't tell you where this is from no that's true I so like the body shop are going to be really pissed off with you <laughs> after all that i would say incredibly grateful come on open up i'm so grateful to them um sending out still having hand soap which we can now share now that we've got them Ooh, droopy okay so how long do we have to put this on for does it like burn off? Fifteen minutes. So it doesn't burn off anything. It's just a moisturising sheet. But people think that it's they life enchanting. This is going to be quite upsetting, isn't it? So... <laughs> yeah, I really, really don't think you're going to enjoy this at all. Mm. <laughs> I really yeah. hope the audience are enjoying this this experience of listening well, to you me. Were, you were really oh my god, it's terrifying. <laughs> I know. Right. It's just like a. Okay. Okay. Oh gosh, it's very damp, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, so cold. <laughs> okay. This is so, this is so very weird. <laughs> no, you're not. Don't put it on properly. Have I not put it on properly? <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> now it's 15 minutes. I have to leave this for 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's also slightly impaired. You've got to move it so it doesn't impair your voice. I can't work out which direction to move it in. I can't work out. <laughs> I can hear my voice is wrong. Yeah. 
But I can't work out... Okay, what the whole point is just to absorb it, see? Okay, well this is... <laughs> Did you set a timer? I've not set a timer. So, you know, this is... Well, luckily, luckily we are counting. So how else do you feel like people are coping? Do you think people are coping okay? Did you see the picture of someone who has painted their face to look like their cat? <laughs> no. And was holding their cat with the same markings on their face, which I saw because the comedian Bethany Black tweeted it, saying... Um, all my cats have black faces. I don't think this would go down very well. I feel like people have been getting through it with quite a lot of television. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? I don't feel like anyone's reading very much. I kind of feel like this is a thing that we've we've stopped doing as a society. Well, also, I don't know about you. It's just, it's that combination of being terrified and bored and feeling like you've got too much to do and nothing to do at the same time. And my concentration span is just absolutely shot for reading. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not getting through very much. But are you news-wise? Are you focusing on the five p.m. brief, six p.m. evening briefing? Are you checking in and out throughout the day? I'm really not engaging beyond occasionally looking at uh, John Byrne Murdoch of the FT's mega graphs, which he he tweets every day, and has picked up literally hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers for these graphs. I mean, yeah, he's doing amazing stuff. I'm so sorry, it's really difficult looking at you. <laughs> I feel like I should take a photo. I feel like we're in a, I mean, big because I'm me, of course this is the reference point so I'm going to go with, but I do feel like we're in a particularly shitty early 1970s Doctor Who. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, which actually you've been doing quite a lot. I have been working through a lot of early 70s Doctor Who, that's very much from my mind. I've actually been doing some work, I've been getting some stuff done. Yeah, no, no, mm. no. Sorry, that wasn't me being dismissed. You've um, been working hard. The the word count on the on the mysterious secret project is up to about thirteen thousand now, so that's coming on. That's good. What else? Oh, I've got you into Big Little Lies. Okay, there was such a come down between the first season and the first second season, season but that's Absolutely a whole different. The first season was the best thing I've ever seen. The second season was such a disappointment, even though Meryl Streep is brilliant in it. I know. So that was so weird because I watched the first series when it came out and hadn't touched the second season, and I'd forgotten how great it is actually. You've finally fully got into community, haven't you? Yeah, communities. Community's been lots of fun. Watching yeah. Brooklyn Nine Nine. Quiz, obviously. Quiz was amazing. Finished. Yeah, it's the really James great. Graham, good old James Graham. Can he just write some more things for us too? Although I found that episode of The Crown he did really difficult because it was so it was so good, but it kind of had me cheering along for sort of Prince Charles, and I'm not that sure was the how. Point. Exactly, it's manufacturing <laughs> consent. No. This is it. I was incredibly uncomfortable. I think with that. you're allowed to be anti royalty if you are and anti Prince Charles whilst also acknowledging that he maybe had a bit of a shitty time as a kid whilst also being brought up in immense privilege. Sure, but it sort of re it sort of positioned him as this kind of like progressive force within the monarchy. Which, which he I'm, was. Which maybe in nineteen maybe in nineteen sixty eight you can argue that. I just think in, in twenty nineteen that was a more difficult message. But we're to... not looking at that then. I'm mm. gonna have to take this off. It's so slick. No, no, Why? you you wanted to do this. You're keeping this on for the for the duration. Baby soft skin. It's important. Oh God. How do you think the crisis is going? As an expert and a uh, you know a qualified epidemiologist and so on, do you feel we're we're like this forever? I think that's a really unfair question because nobody has any idea. I think. <sighs> The thing I'm finding really difficult, I think, and I think everybody is, is just the idea that we have no idea how long this might go on for. And Italy was held up as the worst case scenario. And in many ways, in that, a sort of bit of a failure. And we've now... We've surpassed it we've in surpassed death numbers. Yeah. And also, there has been a lot of criticism of the press, I think, and um, of the briefings. And clearly, the government was not prepped for the scale of what's happened, but you could argue that's 10 years of underfunding for the NHS. And actually, the obsession over 
decisions made two weeks ago, three weeks ago around PPE and things like that. I'm not sure it's necessarily hugely helpful at the moment. I think a big inquiry at the end is useful, but right now I want to know what people are actually doing going forward rather than why things weren't done two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm finding a lot of the, the debate about whether or not we locked down too late or so on a bit on... on helpful like i've never bought into the idea that this government just hates people so much it wants them dead Nobody, which yeah. is which is kind of the subtext to a certain amount of the, the commentary from the left because apart from the other the people most likely to die of this thing are, are the natural tory voter exactly. base and i think um, one can dislike and disagree with people politically but the idea that anybody gets up in the morning and goes you know what i'm going to kill 20 percent of the population that'll be fun i mean people have historically i just don't think there are any of them in the british government no. right now I do think it's interesting the way we, we do have worse numbers in Italy, but it doesn't feel like the system's fallen over in quite the same way. I feel like actually the NHS is kind of, it's not a capacity yet. Well, Nightingale is not in any way full, is it? That's the, that's the big um, sort of made up hospital and a big conference yeah. in East London. But we're very much talking about London again, aren't we? How's Manchester hospitals? How are Manchester hospitals? But doing? London is where the... Of course. Is, is where the problem has been. In yeah. the same way in the, in the States, like New York is getting it far worse than anywhere else. Yeah, true. I think what's really interesting, what's really worrying is if you look at places like South Korea, where they're dealing with their third wave and things are coming back in different in different mm. spheres. And again, there's all this criticism around whether or not we were prepped. Of course we weren't, but nobody preps for this sort of stuff because it's expensive. And pumping money into a health service in case there's a huge pandemic is not something anybody is ever, any government is ever going to do. Uh, that's that's actually something I think this has thrown into sharp relief is that this is a major problem for public services more generally, which is if you have just as much capacity as you need in normal times, you get into a crisis and suddenly you don't have enough. Yeah. But if you leave that slack in the system the whole time, then 95% of the time you're going to get people shouting at you for wasting money. Yeah. There's kind of no winning move there. Absolutely. And also, you're taking money off other things. I mean, I think we're going to have so many different waves, aren't we? The difficult thing is going to be all of those people who previously were going into hospital regularly for different sorts of treatments, say dialysis or chemotherapy, lots of people who have stopped those, who will come back into that or repercussions will kick in in six months' time, mm. you know. The entire health service has been shut down to focus on this one thing. I know people who've had babies who have genuinely been rushed out of cesarean <laughs> theatres straight home, not gone into the wards, you know. So the entire health service is directed at this one thing currently. But what's going to happen after that? And also, it's getting warm. <laughs> the temperature's changing. People in flats, you know, as parks get shut down more as well in London. I don't know whether you're going to keep people on side. Basically, I think that's going to be the thing is about morale and people continuing to behave because I think people have been surprised by actually how well, by and large, the population has behaved. It feels like there are bits of, of let's be honest, there are bits of the media that are out and about looking for someone to shout at for misbehaving in a London park. There are people who seem to want to criticise and actually, by and large, people have been behaving themselves pretty well. But there are people who kind of want to agitate to get the parts shut down or whatever. I can't help but wonder how big their gardens are when they do this. Oh, God. Also, just it's absolute proof that, and I said this in a tweet, and I'm sorry, it's a bit glib, but if we'd been invaded in the Second World War, absolute proof that over 60% of the population would have dobbed in their neighbours for the sniff of another powdered egg. Like, people have 
loved like telling the authorities that their neighbours have been doing something inappropriate. Oh God, did you see that video of the, of the slightly well-spoken woman walking up to the guys digging up the street to like fix the broadband yes. cables or whatever? And it's just like, what did, and she's like saying to them, oh, do you guys work for the NHS? So what are you doing out here? It's like, I bet if her broadband went down and she didn't have Netflix for three hours, she would be furious. It's also, if you think about Botwell Park and Victoria Park, who are the two you know parks that, in London that people have been talking about, a lot of people who live near there are probably people in their 20s who live in house shares of mm. maybe five to six people. So it might be that those people are hanging around in groups. Yes, they might be those people that they live with. Like somebody was tweeting about how sorry they felt for whoever had inadvisedly slept with their housemate during lockdown. But my view is I feel more sorry for the people who did it the week before lockdown started. You know, thinking they could they could awkwardly bang their housemate and then they'll just wait until the awkwardness goes and now they're locked down together. Yeah, that's going to be... Awkward! That's... But there are lots and lots of people in London who live in big house shares with people that they met from spareroom.com. You know, they're not necessarily friends and they don't have gardens. And where are they going to go? You look just really scary with that one. Good. <laughs> I am lucky. This is quite a, this is a nice big flat for a one bed. The lack of outdoor space is, is grating in a way that I didn't plan for when I moved in. I thought it's a nice, it's a nice big space. It's not like I'm an outdoorsy person. And it's only this crisis has made me realise the extent to which I live my life outside and am missing that. But you have windows that open. My, I do have, My yeah. flat, with the windows open that far. You know, two inches or something. Oh, God, your flat be bloody awful exactly. right now. Um, with no outside space. And, yeah, so there is that idea of how much time we spend living outside when one lives in a city. And it's going to get hotter. It's going to keep getting hotter right up until the... Literally the day, I would imagine, when they announce lockdown is over, at which point the heavens will open and it will rain for four months. But also... Because that's the British way. <laughs> Um, but you're also talking about people with small children, toddlers, people under two with no gardens or outside space. So they need to be in parks and sit and run around for a little bit. What do you think of this idea of shutting some of the roads around parks so that people can jog? I think it's a fantastic... I did a piece on City Metric today, actually, kind of looking at this. I think it's a fantastic idea. There are some councils that are kind of being a bit proactive about starting to shut some streets. Because there is a problem that, like, pavements are often just too narrow. Yeah. For the social distancing sort of two-metre gap, you can't pass people on a lot of British pavements, and there's no cars on the roads. It makes sense to kind of reclaim some space. So Hackney Council, just up the road, is looking at, at which streets could maybe be closed down more permanently. There's been talk of doing it in, in Manchester and Brighton, but it doesn't feel like there's kind of a big move in that direction. And I think that's largely because it's quite difficult to do those sort of things when, like, the council offices aren't working. But do you have to do it officially? Or could you just encourage people to do it? I think the difficulty is if you just encourage people to do it then and someone drives down the road anyway right, yeah, okay. and there's an accident, as, you know, statistically speaking, somewhere there would be, yeah. what's the legal basis for that at that point? Yeah, true. So the council is not going to sort of, like, stick its oar in, is it? But you've been doing bike rides, haven't you? I have. It's been, yeah, it's been lovely, quiet streets. Where have your, where have your favourite ones been? Um, oh, I've been all over. I went up and around the Olympic Park. I've done the, the Loop of the Isle of Dogs, uh -huh. up, the, up the River Lee. I've been into the West End, which is very weird at is the it? moment. Where did you go? I went all the way. I cycled the length of Oxford Street all the way up to Marble Arch and back. And it's just, it's dead. It's incredibly strange out there. Are, are the lights still on at Piccadilly? 
I haven't been down to Piccadilly, but... Because one of the weirdest things I saw, because I... Our offices are just off the street, was the power cut in Soho. Do you remember two years ago? Oh, took right, out the yeah. whole of Soho and took down the huge board at Piccadilly Circus. And it was the first time since the Blitz that that had been turned off. And it was so weird. Okay, well, I've, so I do have an interview from, from the world before. So in a moment, we're going to hear me chatting to uh, Donna Hall, former Chief Executive of Wigan Council and Chair of the New Local Government Network about about council finances in this sort of amazing theoretical world in which we didn't have a pandemic. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So for the third year in a row, Skylines is coming to you from the New Local Government Network's annual conference, which this year is glorying in the uh, in the title of Stronger Things. They do a lovely line in branding at the New Local Government Network. And I am here with the chair, Donna Hall. Hello. Hi, hi, John. You OK? Very good. Very nice to meet you. Thank you for taking the time to meet me in this glorious room full of, uh, full of beautiful pictures and, and also echoes. How's, how's, how's the conference going? It's going amazingly well. So we've had a brilliant turnout from people across the NHS, local government, lots of community and voluntary sector organisations and other think tanks as well, and central government. So it's a brilliant turnout across the sectors. Should say this is mid March. It's March the twelfth, as, we, as we're recording. So the country is is not yet on lockdown. It may well be by the time you by the time you actually hear this. So who knows? Maybe this is the last great party on this we'll go to in our lives, and everything we're going to talk about now will be quaintly irrelevant. But in the meantime, let's talk about the situation in in local government. What are the kind of main issues facing facing councils in in twenty twenty? I think it's about the way that we completely need to change the way that we work with our residents, with citizens. I think there's really low levels of trust 
in public sector bodies at the moment uh, and um, in politicians. You can see by the, some of the polls that Mori have run around levels of public trust and confidence. We are at a tipping point, I think, in changing the way that we work with people. Also, whatever money the Chancellor of the Exchequer decides to give us, I know we had the budget yesterday, it's not going to be enough unless we tackle the underlying problem of demand that's rising in the system. It's not about throwing more money at the problem, it's about a complete whole system change in tr stop trying to fix people and come, down, come up with top-down solutions. It's about giving power and control back to communities, back to frontline staff to work differently with residents, to come up with different solutions. I've just given a really very practical example about some of the things that we we were dealing with in Wigan when I was chief executive there when we created the Wigan deal. Because of the way that national KPIs make us focus on the wrong issues, we were concentrating on fostering and adopting over 400 children whose mums were around 89 women. And because the KPI is around numbers of weeks to foster and adopt a child and the processes there that are inspected by Ofsted, we completely forgot about the 89 women. So we completely changed that by working differently with those women to prevent repeated pregnancies, build their confidence and self-esteem and get to the heart of the issue, focus on prevention rather than doing the kind of reacting and disengaged way that we used to work with, with those women. So I think it's about a relational model that local government is starting to realise and the NHS, it needs to really shift to that different community paradigm way of working. So that, that sounds like quite a, a big change in, in local government's role. I mean, we'll get into the specifics in a moment, but like, firstly, do, do councils have the capacity to even think about stuff like that? Because, I mean, my sense of the last 10 years in particular is there's just been a lot of firefighting going on just to kind of survive, really. I think we're putting the capacity into the wrong thing. So we're putting capacity into budget cuts that raise levels of threshold to access services because we've reduced the amount of money that we have in the system. So what we do is we... We don't work on prevention enough and we try to, we tell people that they're not ill enough yet or they're, they're, not, they're not in severe enough crisis to access the help that's out there because we've restricted the budget. So we tell them to go away and come back when they've got worse. And what happens? They go away and they get worse. So it's a much more cost-effective way to step back and to focus on investing in community groups, investing in the voluntary sector. When we were at Wigan, we put around 13 million into the community and voluntary sector, and that managed to really radically uh, do things like improve healthy life expectancy by funding things like choirs, uh, music groups, physical activity programs, community uh, football clubs, walking football, mental health projects, things like that that were grassroots projects, much cheaper than state interventions, much more effective and relying on spark plug people who were operating in communities or frontline staff who were also spark plug people who got things moving. Yeah, I think we've got about five minutes into this podcast before I inevitably mention the, the graph of doom, which, as if you haven't had the pleasure, it shows the um, demand on, on specifically social care, isn't it? Uh, the cost of councils providing social care, which they absolutely have to do. They have a, a legal responsibility to do that, plotted against their budget. And there was a point, which I can't remember exactly when, but where those two lines cross, which you really don't want to happen, because at that point there is negative money left for everything else. In that situation, I mean, how, how can we expect councillors to kind of think about these more strategic kind of reforms when they are just literally trying to, to keep the shell on the road, really? 
I think it needs a real system rethink around social care, both adults and children's, thinking around prevention, trying to keep families together, trying to spend less time on assessment, assessing them and referring them, helping them at an earlier stage to stay together, to get to build on their strengths as a family, which very often with the child protection system, it's really hard to do that and people are quite risk averse. That's why we've got the highest numbers of children in care at the moment than we ever, ever have had at any other point in time because people are scared and you can understand that but and so it's a much more courageous thing to do to focus on building the strengths and that's why we've called our event stronger things i think unless we do this with both adult social care we've got people living a lot longer which is brilliant but often with complex things wrong with them and um, basically lots of different bits of the system all separately interacting with them so i remember when my mum was discharged from hospital. She had 22 different bits of health and care. Came to see her at home on one day. You know, you had uh, the pharmacist, you had the, the person who was there to deal with incontinence, you had the person who was there to deal with diet. You had, But it was all very separate. None of it was connected around the person and none of them asked really about us as a family. It was very much a kind of, we will process you along these lines. So I think social care is starting to change. They're starting to invest more in community assets and some of the clunky things like day centres where people were passed around the borough in a minibus, you know, sitting with people they didn't really know, a very expensive solution, but also not good for the person. They don't really, the feedback we used to get from that in Wigan was not great. So we completely subverted it, put money into the community and did lots more social prescribing. And we had better, happier outcomes, happier people, and it costs a lot less. So I think it's those different models that we've got to work on and develop. Are the boundaries of different public authorities a problem here in that local economies often do not fit neatly into local council boundaries? These kind of reforms sound like you need to be working, councils need to be working a lot more closely with, with the NHS, often those boundaries down to line either, and you just end up with, with, with turf wars, don't you? I mean, how do you, how do you manage that? I think we've just had a fantastic presentation from Helen Bevan from NHS England's Transformation Unit. And I don't think it is about structures. Structures, if, if you haven't got core terminosity, it's really, really difficult where CCGs and councils and NHS trusts don't have the same boundaries. But having said that, I think we often use structures as an excuse to not work together. And, and I really do think that there are people in the system, particularly our frontline staff, social workers, health visitors, school nurses, who really can see the need to wrap services more completely around families and communities in integrated place-based teams. So it's starting to happen. We can see some brilliant practice, uh, some of it in Greater Manchester. You can see some of it as well in, I think one of the best systems at operating at the moment is West Yorkshire and Harrogate. Um, some brilliant work going on in Gateshead, some brilliant work going on in Fleetwood. It's happening in bits, but what we don't do is learn from that. And we just tend to have the sovereignty of our own organisation at the forefront of our minds, rather than the person and the family and the community. So I think it does take a different type of leader to subvert the system. An obsession with governance, you know, particularly in the NHS, which is not, again, focused on the individual and the community. So we do need that bravery of leadership. How do you kind of spread this practice around the system? Because there, there are, as you say, I'm sure a lot of councils doing very clever things, but it's not necessarily visible to all their peers, is it? I mean, how do you kind of make sure that councils are kind of looking at best practice and thinking, oh, we could, we could do that too? I think this sends a shameless plug for the new local government network, but join us. So we've got around 70 members at the moment, and I think they are the most progressive organisations. We're about to announce again our first... NHS Trust is going to be joining us shortly, so that's really exciting news. 
And as part of that, we have innovation exchanges where people from those organisations come and learn from each other. So they avoid spending time on expensive consultants and they, they co-produce with other partners and there's peer learning networks, which are a fantastic way of finding, finding out the best practice in the sector at the moment. Come and join us. Cool. You said that money isn't, isn't everything. It's not the only thing to think about, but money is clearly a part of the picture. I mean, how serious is the kind of financial crisis in local government at the moment? I think it is really bad. And, and it is, people have had 10 years plus of austerity and places have been cut to the bone. And some organisations have cut the very thing that will help them save more money. So they've cut their transformation teams. They've cut corporate comms, which I think is a really foolish thing to do. They've cut strategic finance and they've cut human resources and organisational development. Any business worth its salt, those are the things you should really invest in. So I think increasingly organisations are looking to people like New Local Government Network, NHS Transformation Unit to help them, to bring them the capacity to transform. But I think just throwing money at it is not the solution. So thinking of my mum's case, if we had more money, I often think we might create a 23rd service to come and interact with my mum. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not about layering of, of, of complexity that we already have around an illness-focused system. It's around enabling people to live their best life they possibly can and very often the community has the answer, and we don't. I mean, you said there's been 10 years of austerity. Why has that not led to these kind of service transformations across the board? Why was this not something that kind of happened in you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, when this stuff was first, was first being talked about? I think it takes brave political and managerial leadership to do this stuff because it requires you to subvert the way that hierarchies work uh, it requires you to distribute power differently. It requires you to listen to the spark pub people in the organisation. Very often they're not in positions of power. So it requires more of a kind of anthropological approach, study of how humans work rather than management theory, which I've never studied, sorry. And I just think it, this is about a different mindset really across the organisation amongst leaders, politicians, amongst everybody in the system. It requires bravery, it requires courage, and not everyone is prepared to stand the risk of not having a good Ofsted inspection for a year whilst you fix it, or you know, failing on a CQC inspection, because it does take time and you can't do it. To build that trust with frontline teams and with the system, the soft power is the hard stuff in this system change world, I think. As tends to happen in all conversations about local government, we've ended up talking about money and structures and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, local government should be about other things yeah. too. It should be about place yeah. and kind of creating communities. What else is sort of happening in the world of local government that's kind of a bit less, a bit less dry than these things yeah. that, that we could talk about? I think there's dead exciting work on integrating health and care with integrated care partnerships, and they're happening all over the country, happening at different paces. But I think there's some great practice out there now, and it's starting to adopt this community power at its heart because it's about neighbourhoods, primary care networks which are around doctors working with schools, working with the police, working with social workers in a place very differently, looking at risk stratifying the population because we know which children are, ready, are, are likely to not be ready for school before they turn up at school and you know, by that time, a lot of the neural pathways have been set and it's really difficult to try to turn people's lives back round again after the age of the first 1,000 days. So really trying to work preventive, preventatively, proactively with that kind of top end of the triangle of a very small number of individuals and families who take up a lot of our resources. We know who they are, but we don't target them proactively to help them to become more socially mobile. 
I mean, once upon a time, councils obviously they built a lot of the kind of great buildings of, of the cities, particularly in this of the north and the Midlands in England and so on. Do you do you foresee them getting back to that role at any point? Because at the moment they're kind of service delivery for for central government to a certain extent, aren't they? Mm. Well, I think no, I don't think they are. I think they are moving much more. They've all, councils have always been where you know the interface between central government and the people, and I think that's a really important role. I think we're sat in the Guildhall at the moment, kind of in the, in the heart of British democracy, where the people kind of rose up after the Great Fire of London. And we've got some really great examples of people really taking power into their own hands within local government, but, but enabling. It's not about telling people. I remember, again, when I started in Wigan around 10 years ago, there was almost kind of a, a benevolent dictatorship of, you know, a very strong Labour Council, but very, very paternalistic. You know, we will tell you what you will get and you will, you will be grateful. Over that 10 years, it, it radically changed because the politicians were really up for. They knew by being so heavily cut, 260 million had to come out. They had to redefine the relationship with citizens. And that, for me, is, is the only way. But local government is a, is a magnificent force for change and for good. And I'm really grateful to have spent 30 years working within it. OK, last question, just a slightly silly one. I once got into a lot of trouble with an MP for Wigan, who shall remain nameless, when I suggested that Wigan was a part of Greater Manchester, which it is. It is, It yes. is. It is. But, I mean, you were chief executive of Wigan. Just We talk a lot about kind of the metropolitan counties and metro, and metro mayors and so on in this podcast. I mean, how did, how did the sort of relationship between Wigan and Manchester kind of feel when you were running that council? Yeah, I thought it was a really positive relationship. Obviously, tensions, there always are in any partnership, but... The great thing about Greater Manchester is it's worked together for over 40 years. We own an airport together. You know, we get a dividend from that. Wigan used to get around four or five million a year from that as, as a revenue contribution to the budget. So there's been a long track record of, of collaboration from politicians, really, rather than, um, you know, we had obviously Sir Howard Bernstein, amazing chief exec, and the leader at the time, Lord Peter Smith, did a lot to build that partnership and that sense of common purpose that there would be something in it for every one of the 10 councils that were part of GM. And the mayor, Andy Burnham now, you know, is really trying to forge a social agenda rather than it just being around transport and building new buildings and jobs. It's also about homelessness. It's about public service reform. And, you know, Andy's produced a public service reform white paper for everyone to kind of try to emulate across GM. So it's a really exciting time, I think, for mayors. Yeah, I think Wigan, we, we really, it was a great and positive, not completely without its fallouts at times, but I think we benefited a lot from being part of Greater Manchester. Right, well, I hope Lisa's listening to this. <laughs> Lisa's um, great. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. You've got to take your mask off. I do, I do. I'm saving that for you. <laughs> no, I mean, you need to give it a minute. Okay. It's okay. really I'm, creepy. I'm peeling it off Hang now. on, should I, should I video it? It's really, okay. really, really creepy. But you need to give us a rating of what you think. You know, would you do it again? Okay, right, ready. I mean, I've enjoyed the look, the horrified look on your face. Oh my god, it's so scary. Can I, can I peel? Yeah, yeah, yeah you can peel. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. This is some great radio we're doing here, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but luckily. Oh, and you're also wearing a really, really good t-shirt. I am, I'm, not, I'm wearing my, my branded t-shirt. Um, anyway, thank you very much for, for, for talking to me for my podcast. <laughs> my pleasure, you're, stuck, if, with, you're stuck with me anyway. <laughs> if, some, if somebody wanted to listen to um, Undercurrents, the Chatham House podcast, with you, with you and, and some other guy. And Ben Horton. The latest episode, we talked to Greg Jenner. 
Always good, he is. Talking about celebrity and politics and fame and whether that's gone hand in hand historically or not. Yes, basically, it's linked on my Twitter, which is at Agnes Frim, or if you go onto the Chatterclass website, it's there too. But yeah, we've gone weekly now, so no excuse. That's exciting. Yeah, exactly. Podcasts! One bit of housekeeping. Regular readers of City Metric may have noticed a few changes over there because the new editorial team has arrived. I'm still around. Uh, I'm still going to be doing some stuff, but I'm I'm a mere I'm a mere contributing writer now. The good ship City Metric is being steered by its new editor, Summer Mathis, who is based in New York. Uh, it's a fantastic new team. I'm very excited to see everything they're going to do going to do with with my baby, and I'm very pleased to be passing it on. Exciting times. Exciting times indeed. And uh, with that, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show. And I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.